Boy, is it good to see you. uh, Good to see you, Lily and John. It's, um, I've preached a few sermons just into the phone. Oh, let me center myself in the phone. Um, it's just not the same. I know that ministers, they have radio shows and TV shows, and they just look at the camera and so forth. And uh, I just have to be honest with you, I am not used to doing that. So if we have another relapse or something, and you see me on Facebook again, and when it's just me and the phone, I'm uncomfortable underneath. You'll know that. But it's, it's such a blessing to be here and, uh, and to know that we're also worshiping with our other church members as in, in their homes and we're one in the Spirit. And that's a little bit of what I want to talk about this morning is unity. And, uh, but it's great to hear your voices and it's so comforting and satisfying to know how God has held us fast during these times. He's held our church. He's held our our Christian friends in the community fast during the t- these times. The church is never on hold. It's never quarantined. It's never on pause. Christ is always building His church. And I would venture to say that many of us have grown in the faith during these times in this pandemic. Glory to God for that. Well, as you know, in light of the circumstances of what's going on in the world with the pandemic, I've um, chosen to just preach sermons Uh, that address the things that we're facing. And so, just kind of progressively, one of the big questions that popped into people's minds when this mysterious virus that was killing people came onto the scene was, is this some kind of judgment from God? And whether people believed in God or not, that was on a lot of people's mind. And so we looked at that in one of our sermons, and then another way that the pandemic was affecting people was through anxiety. I mean, when you have something so mysterious, some unknown, then you have all these fluctuating projections, and then you have uh, potential food shortages, and then job losses, and then prices going up on other things, and you you don't even know when it's going to end. These kind of things can produce anxiety in us. We were brought back to Scripture in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus three different times says, do not be anxious. Yes, He knows how the world works. He creates it. He knows we need shelter. He knows we need food. He knows how much money we have. But the remedy to anxiety is to let God be in control, to know that He's in control, to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these other things that God has designed, they'll be given unto you. And then last time we looked at another effect that this pandemic is having on people, and that is loneliness. And we we see, we were reminded that just as we delight in each other's presence today, uh, being created in the image of God means that we're social beings. Uh, We were actually, by His design, created to look each other in the face and and to interact and to to share ourselves, the, the essence and the being that God made us to be, to share it with each other. And that's one of the ways that people thrive and communities thrive. And we looked at loneliness and we found that um, the, the inability or being shut off from communication, being isolated, actually has negative physical and spiritual effects on people. And so the medical community is kind of weighing out uh, to make sure that the cure isn't worse than the sickness itself. Because there's a lot of people that suffer from loneliness. 
And that is because we were not created to be socially isolated. But we're never alone. God is always with us. God is at work. And by His grace, we have ample methods to stay in touch with each other through social media. It's amazing that you can talk to somebody or FaceTime somebody across the globe. It's absolutely amazing the technology that we have today. So in keeping, in keeping with that uh, focus of reactions and what's God doing and what are people doing and how are we handling this pandemic, I want to focus on something else this morning. And I want to focus on the virtue of unity. Unity in general, but specifically church unity. Unity. Because you see, nations, they can be and they are divided. Uh, We're seeing countries divide. We're seeing states divide. Of course, politicians are always divided. But the church cannot be divided. We cannot be divided. We are one because of what Christ accomplished without us, without our participation. It's that divine, mysterious oneness that if we're in Christ, if we're true believers, we're one with God because He accomplished that in the death and the resurrection. So there's this mysterious divine oneness that that Jesus has us in as a part of that will never be destroyed. It will only grow greater and tighter throughout eternity. But we also have the oneness that Jesus tells us to walk out, to practice in our everyday lives as believers. And that's on our shoulders. That's what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do is to keep this mindset of unity. And in times like this, when we see people taken off in all different directions, ideas, thoughts, opinions, philosophies, theories, and so forth, we need to focus on Jesus as we sang this morning. Just turn your eyes on Christ. What is He doing? What is He about? And I would venture to say that this present time, there is a huge temptation to be disunited, to be uh, disunited, to be fragmented. And I picture in my mind... The tree of forbidden fruit. There's one great big piece of fruit hanging on it, hanging off it as a huge temptation to just take sides or or to be dissentious because that's what the world does in times like this. So as I think about this and kind of follow the progression of how things have unfolded and, and I know I say this all the time, but what we're seeing is largely unprecedented. I know we've had viruses and we've had to... We've had to isolate. We've had recessions and so forth. But the way all this is unfolding, it's very, very unique. When COVID-19 first appeared and crossed into the United States, we were all mesmerized by the gloomy uh, projections. I mean, the data that was coming out was just so threatening and it gripped us as we thought about all the, the potential loss. I mean, this is the United States. You know, you think about this, these kind of things happen to third world countries or undeveloped countries, sure. But come on, we got money and we got technology. This is on our turf. Yeah. And we watched that progression and, and, and it, it gripped us. But at the same time, there were good things that came out of it. And of course, we know that that's God. There were good things that, that came out of this gloom and doom. And one of the good things that I immediately recognized was solidarity. It was like this, yeah, you have, you have the threat over here, but then 
bubbling up or growing up was this mindset that began to, to spread from one person to the other of, uh, we're in this together. Some people would even draw it on little signs and hold it up. We're in this together. And it was a reminder. Yeah, we're all in this together. None of us are immune to this. I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who this will infect. And so let's have the mindset that we're in this together. Well, that's unity. That's solidarity. And it's a powerful thing. And then along with that, uh, as people began to get just a little bit uncertain, we saw the other slogan, the virus is the enemy. I loved it when I saw that. The virus is the enemy. And again, it draws our attention to what is this all about and what, what should our posture be with this? How should we fight this? And we need to remember, it's not the people. The virus is the enemy. And these kind of things were in this together and the virus is the enemy. They really served well to, um, to, to bring the goodness, the image of God out of people, to bring the best out of people. So that we're focusing on that which really needs to be overcome. You know? And so, like, when all this first started unfolding, uh, I think there was, for the most part, a very unified mindset that, okay, if I got to stay home, I'll stay home. If that's what it takes to conquer it, now that we know what the enemy is, if that's what it takes, and you're telling me that's what it takes, if I got to stay home, then I'll stay home. If I got to sacrifice some of my income, people say, if I got to do that, you know, that's not my favorite thing to do, but if that's what it takes to conquer this thing, then I will sacrifice my uh, income. If I got to limit my travels, I'll limit my travels. If I can't go and visit my, my, uh, my loved one in the nursing home or in this establishment, and I got to stay away, I'll do that. I'll do that if that's what it takes for the health and the well-being of everybody. If I got to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. It's uncomfortable, but I'll do it. It's awkward. I'll do these things. If we have to uh, abide by self-imposed limitations, little personal decisions we make for the safety and well-being of others, I'll do that. If that's what it takes to conquer this thing, I'm in. Let's just pull together and do it because it is the kind of thing that involves other people. You can't fight this battle by yourself. We are all fighting it together. It takes a mutual co uh, cooperation. And I, I saw that it was just a powerful solidarity there and a constant reminder. We're in this together. The enemy is the, is the virus. And I think it really propelled us and it's, it served us well, that mindset. And I even like the fact that, and I, I know with social media, you're aware of a lot of these things too, but um, I'm always amused at how how good comes out of gloom and doom. And we have seen really incredible things take place just in humanity because we're creating the image of God. You can expect to see creativity. You can expect to see ways to deal with the unexpected. You can ex we've seen acts of valor. We've seen acts of sacrifice. Um, we've seen humor at some of its best. There are some hilarious, there's hilarious COVID humor. Um, and, it, you know, it helps us deal with things. Laughter and joy, it's a gift of God. As far as humor goes, uh, for instance, um, there was this one man uh, who was quarantined. Of course, he had to stay home from his job. And he worked. all he did was he, he worked, rushed off early in the morning. He worked and he came home and he watched sports. And he worked and he come home, came home and he watched sports. And, but now he's stuck at home with no TV to watch, no job to go to, 
and he's kind of like, it's unfamiliar to him, but it's his own house. And he notices, lo and behold, that there's actually somebody else living in the house with him. Something he never noticed before. As he begins to observe, he finds that well, this person is very attentive and very kind and very nice. And as time goes by, they have a conversation and come to find out it was his wife. So, okay, so moving right on, then we have families that you've seen who they're stuck at home. They have nothing to do, so they entertain themselves. They'll, they'll write a song. We've seen that. Uh, they'll come up with a dance move or some kind of dance. Uh, some people uh, will get all dressed up just to take the trash to the street and then come back. Just different. I think these are just neat ways to remind us that life goes on. There's more to life than what we see. And there's been some really moving things as well. There was the, the video of the elderly man who was visiting with his wife who was in a nursing home and he was standing outside uh, and visiting with her through the glass window there. And I think she had um, uh, dementia or something. It was just a beautiful moment. And then another elderly man took it even higher to a higher level, pun intended, because what he did was he rented a man lift to visit his wife that was in, in, in an institution, I think on the third or fourth, fourth floor or something. And this, this is an elderly man. And he's up in this man lift visiting with his wife through the window. I mean, this stuff is incredible what we see. You, you would not see these kind of things unless we weren't pushed and pressured. See what's in our hearts. Of course, you've seen the, the uh, countless uh, parades that happen to encourage people to celebrate certain things, uh, recognize birthdays, and just to instill hope and courage in people. And, you know, we saw corporate America come together during this. We've seen corporate America come together and pool their massive resources and kind of draw battle lines, if you will. Let's come together and, and stop this thing dead in its tracks. You, you shall not pass, so to speak. We have things to offer and to give. We have things to throw at this. And there was one company, I don't remember the name of the company, but other companies and manufacturers, they're, they're kind of rearranging their businesses so that they can produce what's needed, the personal um, equipment there, protective equipment, to produce the great demand and, and other facilities for drugs and things. This one company, 40 employees voluntarily, after they rearranged their manufacturing facility to be able to produce the masks, the, the mat, I think it was the N95 mask that they need, they voluntarily decided to stay in the building, eat there, sleep there, live there, so that nothing would come in, nobody would go out and bring anything back in so that they could meet, help do their part to meet the demands of making these masks. I mean, th these kind of things just, just floor me. I, I, I'm so encouraged and impressed with these kind of activities. And at first, we watched with our own eyes, America, and in particularly our politicians, reluctantly come together. Reluctantly come to gather and agree that our enemy was COVID, not each other. And because of it, in the, in the beginning stages, nobody does everything perfect. And they're, they're, it's debatable. But in the beginning stages, 
things that have never been done before, like the, like the, the cooperation. And things were expedited, like that would usually take one, two, three, five years. I mean, they came together to make what needed to happen, happen. And that was so refreshing to see this reluctant solidarity or unity. And we watched the, the White House form a, a task force and put people with, with aptitude that was needed to be able to guide us and lead us, or at least point us in the right direction. And we just saw countless people throwing themselves behind this to defeat this with a passion. People helping people. People caring for people. Uh, people overcoming obstacles that we've never faced before. And even if it's just uh, wearing a smile or the twinkle in your eye because people can't see your smile because of your face mask. These things ha- uh, help. They're happening and they help. But as you know, over time, over time, uh, the data became more inaccurate, more mysterious, and people began to get suspicious and question, wait a minute, the, the original st- statistics were way up here, and, but this is what we're seeing now. And doubt and question came in and said, well, what, what's accurate, what's not, and, and, and how can you get it, and how can you stop from getting it? Should you wear a mask or shouldn't you wear a mask? And how do you fight something that's asymptomatic? I mean, people could be walking around, and they have it, and there's no symptoms to it. I mean, what, what are we working with here? Do we really know what, what the challenge is before us? Should we go to the store, stay home? The tests, we need more tests, but even, are they, are they accurate? How accurate are they? So there's just still so many unknowns. And, and what that did is it began to cause um, unrest and suspicion. And I watched, and I'm sure you did too, we're watching, and it's still happening. And we're watching the unity and the solidarity just kind of fragment. The oneness of mind. Because it's no longer this something that we can we can identify really accurately to say that we're all on the same page. The unknowns, the misinformations, the suspicions. People are growing restless, aren't they? And we see it. We have protests. We have all kind of things passing through articles and so forth, passing through social media. Is the government really getting it right? Are the prof- do the professionals really know what they're dealing with? And then, lo and behold, we, we see the politicians who reluctantly came together. Now, it just so happens, if that's how you want to coin it, that uh, the Democrats are the states that want to stay closed and the Republicans happen to be the ones to open up. I mean, what's with that? How, how could it be politicized? Well, who broke the ranks first? I'm not sure. There just was an unrest questionings, suspicions. But I will say this. I believe, my personal opinion, I believe that our national leaders missed a golden opportunity. I believe our politicians have missed a golden opportunity to find what we as Americans have in common and to stand on that and move forward based on that. And we saw a glimpse of it and now we're watching it disappear golden opportunity if ever there was a time to pull 
what we know is right and true and what the values that we do have in common. If there was ever a time to pull those together, now was the time. It's been said what we really need is a vaccine for politics. Division, restrictions, conspiracies. Some people are saying the whole thing is conspiracy. There is no virus. Others are, are, are fighting over whether masks work, whether social distancings work. How, how do we come up with six feet? Is that even accurate? The common courtesy that we have, or that I have been so impressed with, is slowly disappearing. So why bring all of this up? Why talk about this from the pulpit? I mean, you, all you got to do is watch it on the news. You, you're aware of all these things as well. And I bring it up to our attention as a church family because if we are not careful as believers, we will get sucked right on into the ways of the world in dealing with pressure, tension, anxiety, conspiracies, mystery, and the unknown. We'll just get swept right along with it. I've already seen where Christians are picking fights where there are no fights. People's emotions get high and we lose our calibration. Right off the beginning in in just the local paper, there was a pastor in Richmond who said, I'm not scared of a quarantine. I I have faith in God. Two weeks later, he's dead. And we got all these different kind of reactions and there's some rebellion in there, unfounded rebellion mixed in with this Christians are getting riled up about all kinds of potentials. And I know that things are real and we have to think about them and be, be smart about them. And um, our, first, our, our rights of the First Amendment that that offers us, are they in violation? Are they being threatened? And those are kind of things, if they are, that's very serious. We need to look at that. But what we don't want to do is be outraged about things that we don't even know if they're true or not. And we don't know the magnitude of how far-reaching things are. I just hear a little piece of news and then get passionate and outraged about it and pass it on to the next person. This kind of thing happens in the Christian community. The good thing about America is that we are entitled to our own opinions. And we can hold to things and disagree with one another. And that works in the church as well. But there's a proper way to go about it. So, we have all these different ways of looking at things. We have uh, conspiracy theories that are taking off like crazy. God calls us to be wise. Right in His Word, Ephesians uh, chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells his church, be wise, and then says, not unwise, as if that wasn't understandable already. It says, be wise, not unwise. So there's a way that we can handle things like this unwisely. I would say that, venture to say that it's probably not a good thing to just uh, believe everything we read. Every headline, everything that crosses our computer or our phones or whatever, no matter who it comes from, don't believe every headline or every article that you read at face value because these kind of things and Articles can be written very juicy. It just is another form of gossip and conspiracies. They 
they're like addictive because it keeps you going. Well, yeah, and if that's true and this is true and it, and it fuels us up and it fuels the suspicion that's already in us about how things work. The suspicion that's already in us about our government, or our leaders or corporate America or whatever it is. We just have to be careful with these things. I know it's a good feeling to think that I got the insight. I'm in the know now because I got this article that you didn't read. And it's given me an advantage. We need to be careful about those kind of things. The promise that there's always something at work in the background. People are always up to things. If it's not substantiated, we need to stay away from those kind of things. And I would also say as believers, since we build on the rock, truth is important. What we don't want to do is get something and pass it on. If we're really concerned about it, fact check it. It's a thing we can do in our day and age. Do take the time to research it. Make sure it's substantiated. Because if we, we hear something or we get an article and it's just gossip or it's, just, it's totally unsubstantiated, it's just clickbait, and then we pass it on to all our Christian friends and then they get riled up about it, that's, a break, that's breaking one of the commandments. It's being deceptive. It's passing on something that's not true. So as believers, we have a different way to approach things. Now, in our culture, you have seen it escalate over the last several years. We have become a culture of outrage. I know that you've seen this. We get outraged about everything. We find things to be passionately outraged about. And we go after each other. We take it to another level. And in our culture, feelings are more important than facts. So what that means is you read something or you hear something, it riles up your emotions. You get really upset or really passionate about it and you're ready to fight for that cause. And now, because you have such a deep feeling about it, whether it's true doesn't even matter because I'm upset. And if I'm upset, that's what matters. And our culture really trains us to do that. We're, we're trained to look at each other in groups you know, we're supposed to be uh, promoting tolerance, and yet you have the conspir- you have the um, uh, you have all these theories of people groups and and the wealthy and different genders, and we're just constantly grouped into different things and special interest groups. There's more and more special interest groups, and our tr- our culture trains us to look at differences. So you're you're getting you have more favors than I do. You're getting better treatment than I do. That's not what the gospel trains us to, to, to develop within ourselves. The gospel teaches us to, to promote and to grow a culture of consideration, of unity, of truth, of wisdom, before we just blow our top. To think about what's happening from a biblical perspective. Now, unity is a virtue, and it is a very important doctrine that God wants to see, Christ has obtained it for us, and God wants to see it grow. And that's what we can or cannot do, will or will not do, is grow unity and be in harmony. The world takes sides. God's people should not, in the sense of the things of the kingdom. 
So the Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians um, 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You will not read that in a paper. The Bible, Paul says, the Bible gives us common ground. He's, God's given us a rock to build our lives on, to build our families, to build our communities, to build our church families. Stay on it. It's, it's, it's substantial. Stay on it. Don't move off of that. This, he's given you something to have in common. He's given you reason to be united. Reason to do things together and invest in each other. Stay on that. And then in uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians, a very familiar passage... Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk worthy in a manner of the calling to which you've been called. And how, how do we do that? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope. That belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. All of these things that we can stand on, that we know are true, that are substantiated. That is how we focus on the kingdom of God and put the kingdom of God first. So why address not just the world or not just Christianity at large, but why address New Covenant in particular with these issues? Well, here's why. In addition to what I've already said, this isn't over. And we as a church still have to make decisions that are really hard to make. What does it look like to continue to open? What does it look like to gather together? How do we do this safely? And we are also aware that among our loving church, uh, close-knit church family, we have lots of different opinions about how things should work. And we have those that might be tempted to come over here and say, you guys are being way too lax. You're not taking this serious. And you might have this group and come over here and say, you're taking it too serious. You don't need all that kind of stuff. I don't even believe in hand sanitizer. Now, these are strong convictions. Hand sanitizer. Just put it everywhere. Then you won't. But anyway, so you have this stuff. Now, we, we, we are reading. I know that you guys try to be well-informed, and so you're reading all kinds of things. That's great. But then you get information. You've got to decide what you to do with it, and you start developing passions and convictions and, and knowledge. And it might be different over here. It might be different than over here where you land on things. So what I want to do is just spend the remainder of our time. It, something just happened to the phone, by the way. Uh, the remainder of our time just looking at a few passages that won't take long to remind us about the importance of unity and how is it possible to be united? How is it possible to be the body of Christ if I just can't even believe you're going to the store and I think we all ought to stay home or vice versa? The way that we do that now that we've been reminded about the importance of unity is humility. That's how you achieve. There's a, there are a lot of other little things that, that overlap, but that's how you achieve the unity when sometimes it might seem impossible to come together and be like-minded in any kind of issue. How do we get there? Humility. 
Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter 2, John Razima took us through this book not so long ago. Paul says to this church, be of the same mind. 2 verse 2. And then three and, verses 3 and 4, he, he just lays it right out there. And he's telling the people who have come to Christ, they hail Him as Lord and Savior. And he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others as better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. And see, that is so powerful because in a sense you have to really die to self. But, but when you really die to self, you see beautiful things come to life at the same time. Because now what, what you have is this mutual acceptance and you're not demeaning one another. And you're not prideful saying, I have the truth and I know better than everybody else in the church of how things ought to operate or how things ought to go. And it gives us room to even be right and it gives us room to be wrong. As long as we do not divide in Ephesians Paul said that Christ removed the wall of hostility in the church. Now, I know the world constantly puts wall after wall after wall of division. And and Christ just blew it all away. He said, we are one. And we can maintain that unity through humility. It's through mutual consent. Now, let me just close with a biblical example of how that worked in real life in a church in Rome. And then we're finished. So in Rome, you have the Christians. These are believers. Some of them are mature. Some of them are are new. And there's this big dissension. There's this big dispute about important stuff, biblical stuff, biblical teaching that comes in the church. And um, one side, it's about food laws. And one group develops over here and they say, you're being too lax about the food laws. They're right in the Bible. This is what you can and can't eat. And the other... Group says, you're being way too strict. We've been set free from all of that kind of stuff. Now, they both draw. They both got scriptures to back up their position. And they have strong spiritual convictions. Now, how in the world is a church ever going to pull out of that? How will they survive? You got people who are biblically informed. They got strong convictions. Their consciences before God are directing them. Like all the right things are in place. And yet, it's causing division. And here... What will the apostle advise them in this situation? As soon as I find it, I'm going to tell you. There it is. So in Romans chapter 14, he says this. As for the one who is weak in faith, of course he's addressing the food, the food laws and the food issues. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. That is so tactful. Because he's not saying, you can't hold your opinions. And he's not really saying any side is, is right or wrong. I mean, he does say one side has weak faith and one side has strong faith. In other words, some consciences are way more sensitive than they maybe need to be, but it's still real. 
He doesn't tell them what they have to believe. There's room for opinions. But what he says is, Christ is except all of you. He's given, there's room in the kingdom for all of you. And the way that you can agree to disagree agree is through mutual respect. Consider that other people have an opinion. And even if you are right, don't be prideful about it. Don't let anything being right or being wrong or having special information, whatever it is, don't let that cause division. In other words, what God is doing in the kingdom, Paul lays out the priority. Our focus for the oneness in Christ to be the body of Christ sets a precedent and has a priority over our own convictions and opinions. That's how we can agree to disagree and remain one. It's not that it's not that what you read was wrong or so forth. And if you want to be more cautious, that's okay. There's room for that in the kingdom of God. It's how we look at one another as long as we don't demean one another. As long as we don't separate from one another and build walls over these things that there is wiggle room in. What there isn't wiggle room in is the purity of the doctrine of the faith. We all have to agree on that, period, because it's true in the word of God. Now, you see the beauty of humility. And I would say the world, if the world needs examples of what it looks like to agree to, agree to disagree. How can you still love one another and come to, together when you have such different strong opinions about COVID or whatever it is? Conspiracy theories or the government and First Amendment. Well, it's because we have a bond and a priority that's even more important than all the things that are happening here in this world. And it is the one that points us to eternity. It's the church of Christ, the body of Christ that he is establishing in us. And that's how we can be examples to others. New Covenant Fellowship that are struggling with the same things, hearing the same things, and seeing the same things. God can and will and is using us in that way. The Bible always has answers. And we're going to live it out. I want to close with one other real-life example, pretty recent example of something that's beautiful that has taken place and all the doom and gloom and dissension and anger and so forth. <clears throat> it's out of World Magazine. Everybody should be reading at least some of it. You can get free ma- emails from World Magazine, a reliable source. And I, I like how this example shows us how just consideration, like Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Consider the interests of others. What, what's the power of just considering that others have struggles in their lives? What can come out of that? He says, a fundraiser... Uh, fundraising effort for Native American tribes hit hard by the coronavirus pandemic has received numerous notes and contributions from across the Atlantic. As of this morning, uh, a GoFundMe page for the Navajo and Hopi reservations is close to its goal of $2 million, thanks to the many gifts coming in from friends in Ireland. People and friends in Ireland are... are donating to the Indian reservations in America. So the money will go toward a purchase of necessities and equipment and so forth. Um, why Ireland? Well, here's why. Well, in March 1847, some 60,000 Native Americans from the Choctaw, Choctaw uh, tribe heard about the Great Famine in Ireland, the Potato Famine. 
Despite having recently undergone forced relocation along the Trail of Tears, they banded together and raised funds worth about 5000 today to send to the Irish. 173 years later, the favor is returned through generous donations from Irish people to the Navajo Nation. Is that cool or what? Just being aware of what other people are struggling with, doing what we can to help out to solidarity. It's, and, and look, as the church, the way we pull together through humility is the same thing that we have seen the image of God and man come out. And that is we are, as believers, we're in this together. We are pilgriming through this world, all the struggles facing the same things together. And guess what? We have the same enemy. And it's not each other. It's Satan. It's the devil. Always trying to pervert and undo God's work. That's the one that Christ has given us the power to overcome when we obey with a steadfast heart the word of God. And so, this morning, I remind us or our church family about the power of unity and how we get there through humility.